Requesting connection. Established. Encrypted. We're live. The show you've been asking for. Advice, technology, and community. Linux first, all others second. This is Ask Noah. My home in Grand Forks, North Dakota, just a few feet from the Christmas tree and my family. Welcome to the Ask Noah Show, guys. It's a special edition of the Ask Noah Show because even on Christmas, we're still the show that puts you, the listener, in the driver's seat. You guys are still the content. Merry Christmas to all of you guys. I'm so happy to be here. Uh, and I'm, I, I, I'm really thankful to all of you guys who have made the Ask Noah Show and the Ask Noah Show community a priority all year long. And uh, this Christmas is a holiday that's celebrated across uh, the entire world, uh, which is kind of nice. Sometimes I get, you know, on 4th of July, I kind of feel like I leave our friends across the pond. Leave a play. Leave the music play. I uh, I, I let the, uh, I feel like I leave those guys in the dust. So Christmas is the day that everyone gets to participate in. So thank you very much for joining. Again, the phone lines are open. 1-855-450-NOAH. That's 1-855-450-6624. The email live at asknoahshow.com. That said... I uh, would not be surprised if we don't take a single call this hour. Uh, we've got one guest that's going to join us, uh, Mr. Simon Quigley, but um, <laughs> chat rooms give me a hard time. <laughs> uh, yeah, so we're going to have one guest, but I, I would not be surprised at all uh, if if we don't get any guest calls, and that's perfectly okay. I hope you guys are at home celebrating with your family. Um, I just happen to know after uh, after years and years of doing Christmas, I, I love Christmas. Christmas is my favorite holiday. I wait for it all year round. Uh, and even as much as I love Christmas and as lo- much as I love uh, being around family, in fact, we host Christmas at our house. So all of our family comes from all of our different walks of life and different sides of the family, they all come to our house on Christmas Eve and we all get together. And I love it. I love the cooking. I love hanging out with people. I love giving gifts. I love everything there is to know about Christmas. Um, and, and yet all of that, there, there gets a point where all the businesses are closed and everyone's locked at home. Where at some point during the Christmas holiday, I just I start to get cabin fever. I'm like, I just I need to get out just for a minute. So this is kind of my break is to come hang out with you guys here on the air. If there's somebody else that has uh, cabin fever, so to speak, then you're welcome to join us because uh, the phone lines are open. Uh, okay, so uh, let's dive into this. So obviously, the biggest news of the week is Ubuntu 17.10 pulled their ISO. Uh, I'm pulling this article from the register.co.uk headline, incompatible, incompatibility with BIOS on certain Lenovo Acer systems. A bug in the Intel SPI driver coupled with Linux kernel 4.13 shipped in Ubuntu 17.10 can leave users unable to update any of their BIOS settings, including their system's boot order after this version of Ubuntu. A kernel with a fix for this issue uh, will be available in Zesty updates shortly. But for the time being, the 1710 installer images do not contain the kernel with this bug. Users that with affected systems should not upgrade to 1710 or boot 1710 installer image until this issue is resolved. Doing so may result in your computer requiring professional servicing in order to restore BIOS function. A full list of affected models can be found in, and then they link an article, 
if you have installed Ubuntu 17.10 on an affected system, you may not immediately notice this problem because Ubuntu will continue to boot from the disk. To verify whether the system has been affected, create a USB stick with the Ubuntu 16.04 desktop and attempt to boot it. If you are able to boot it, then your system most likely has not been impacted by this bug. If your BIOS is affected by this blunder, you may have to replace the firmware's flash memory chip or the entire motherboard. You might have to replace your entire motherboard. If you're sending the BIOS or suggested workarounds or some other remedy, do not resolve this matter. This is a huge problem. And this is a huge problem that affects Linux specifically. And uh, that is, that's not a good, this is not a good thing. We're going to bring Simon on to talk about this in a little bit. By the way, we're doing something special this evening. We're gonna, I'm going to do a, a version of the Reddit AMAs. You guys can call them and ask me anything. I'll answer questions on any topic. Nothing, well, it's a family-friendly show, so keep it family-friendly. But anything, anything that's family-friendly, you can ask me anything. Religion, politics, relationships, uh, diet, travel, whatever it is. Give me a call, 855-450-6624. So that's a little bit extra incentive. If there's somebody out there listening that's like, ah, do I want to take the time on Christmas to call? There's your incentive. We're going to go back to this article, and we're going to bring Simon Quigley on from the Lubuntu Project to talk about this. But first, I want to go to Joe in Philadelphia. Hey, Joe, welcome to the Ask Noah Show. Hey, thanks for having me. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you too, sir. How can we help? Uh, it's more of a, your thoughts on the state of marketing and Linux, um, given the new, uh, I guess the revive interest in privacy and the importance of, you know, people controlling their, their computing experience, you know, why is it that we still find a lot of, uh, open source projects almost, uh, dismissing the importance of marketing and the skill set there? I think it's just uh, a lot of, um, devs who are leaving the projects are not really, taking the time and effort to really uh, put enough attention in that area and, um, you know, even find people who could. Um, what's your thoughts on overall marketing and Linux and yeah. what, what can we do to improve that? For sure. So um, a, a couple of things. One is, I guess you have to look at, the, at, at how the system is structured, right? When you take an Apple or a Microsoft or a Google, they go and they find the best of the best of the best marketers. And these are people that knew from an early age that they liked creativity and that they liked speaking to people and that they had a bit of salesmanship in them and they could take the most unflattering product and make it really shine. And after doing that over and over and over again, those people developed a reputation in the marketing world and then they got hired for 100000 or $200,000 a year by a Microsoft or an Apple or a Google and then they, then Google says, here's this computer that we're releasing that only runs a web browser, and uh, obviously that's not very compelling, so find a way to sell it. And in a couple of years, what you find is you stamp the Google name on it, and you put some of these marketing people in charge of it, and all of a sudden, every time I turn around, there's entire school systems that have dumped fully functioning computers to, to, to switch to these computers that only run a web browser. Why is that? Well, that's because they're marketed very, very well, and they're marketed by the best of the best of the people that really know how to craft a message. And then if you look at the Linux side, who do we have? We have people that are insanely smart, that really understand the technology, that really understand the code. And how did they get that way? Well, they spent a lot of time sitting in, in their basement uh, banging on code. They spent a lot of time learning. They did not spend a lot of time learning how to craft the message because they never. most geeks don't do it for anyone else. They do it for themselves. They, rarely do I ever meet a geek that does anything because of money. They do it because they're passionate about it. And... 
that makes for a really great technical technical product, and it makes for really bad marketing people. And I'm guilty of this just as much as the next person. I'm actually pretty terrible at selling the benefits of AltaSpeed technology. It's just not what I do. I'm just not that guy. Uh, I like fixing the problems. And so as we go into 2018, Joe, I guess what I'd like to see is – I agree with you. I think we do have a branding problem. I do think we have an imaging problem. And I think the way to fix that is to get people and get the Michael Tunnels of the Tux Digitals out there who know how to take a otherwise – um, you know, difficult to market pro- product, and and then put a spin on it. You go take a look at his video on on Snappy Core, Snappy, and and Snaps. It's you know he 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 starts off by saying this is a really confusing thing, and the namespace is really confusing, and none of it really makes any sense. And here's why they chose those names. And once you start to under and and, and in five minutes he explains the whole thing to you, and then once you get done, you're like, oh okay, now that makes perfect sense. But you need somebody like him that can make that information – or Chris does the same thing on Linux Action News or Linux Unplugged. will take very difficult or, or not interesting topics and he'll condense them down into something that's palatable. I remember the first time he talked about System D. It was the same thing. It wasn't an exciting – System D was not an exciting thing for a lot of us at the time. And he broke it down and said, as a human being, here are the five or six things that you can come to appreciate and here's why they're really cool. And I think – People that have that skill set are underutilized in the community, and I think people like you who notice it uh, and people like me who have a platform to give those people someplace to talk, I I think owe them something. Does that kind of touch on what you were saying? Uh, Yeah, yeah, and um, uh, just a follow-up question. I mean, uh, uh, in terms of tangible things that, you know, if you were uh, in a room with a lot of the heads of um, projects, that you know are led by dev and people. Um, what would be one or two tangible things you would recommend them to do to help with this? I mean, obviously, I wouldn't say you know start learning marketing. I want them to focus on the project. Um, would it be centered around uh, um, like recruiting and outsourcing some of this stuff? Like, what would your advice be to those individuals? Because I'm I'm, try- I'm running up against the challenge of helping out in this area and. Um, Sometimes I have to sell like the most basic things to these projects, and it's taking up a lot of time just to do the basic things in marketing yeah. for them. Yeah. So the first thing, obviously, the the most the the, the shortest path to success in, in that industry is money, right? So start yeah. pushing for donations. Start pushing for a Patreon. Start pushing for uh, you know I don't exactly know how you do this, but you know maybe you have a project. You're confirming that, exactly. Uh, yeah, what you what 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 most rational people think, right? <laughs> well, I mean, so so imagine this, Joe. Take let's walk through this thought experiment, right? Let's say you put all of the code up on GitHub, and then for Patreons only, you produce the RPM or the Deb, and they get it a month early or two months early before you actually put it into the repository, stuff like that. Now, it's not it's not it's not violating the the spirit of open source. If you want to go and compile the source code yourself, you're welcome to do that. But for the idiots like me. For a dollar a month or five dollars a month or ten dollars a month or whatever, I would totally pay to get Debs packaged for, for, for my given thing. And the, the other thing, too, that I really think needs to be addressed, you know, the KDE project reached out to Chris and said, would you do a promo video for uh, – I, I guess I don't know if he did the entire video or if he just did the voice track. But, he, but, but, but basically he did a production for him, did the same thing for System76. And uh, to the best of my knowledge, he didn't charge him for anything for it. They just asked him to do it, and he said, yeah, I would love to give back to the community. And he's a content producer, and that's what he likes to do is he's good at producing content. And if you just ask him and say, hey, I've noticed that you're, 
you're a content producer. Would you come and, and produce a, a marketing video for us? He's happy to do that. And so just reaching out to the people that already exist there and saying, hey, would you help the project out? Most people in the Linux community are looking for, I am, sure am, looking for ways to give back. Anyone ever approached me and said, could we come on the Ask Noah show or would you produce a video or this, that, the other? Absolutely, I would. Uh, and so I think just being able to, I think being able to do that uh, and, 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 and touching your own resources is, is a great way to go. All right. Thanks so much. I hope yeah. people are listening uh, to some of that advice and that important thing because uh, I'm just tired of seeing the best projects at a technical level go under the radar so much. And um, I think uh, the funding, the, even if it's just uh, you know um, soliciting donations one time mm-hmm. instead of Patreon, which is monthly, um, yeah. to just have a piece of that go back into marketing will be powerful. But uh, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. You know, we have had this discussion. We actually had this discussion at Linux Fest last year that essentially a lot of times you have two competing projects. One is technically superior. One is just marketed slightly better. Neither are usually marketed terribly well. But one is marketed slightly better. And the one that is marketed slightly better wins regardless of technical superiority. And it really frustrates those that are very, you know, technologically advanced and really understand the technology. Landon is calling from North Dakota. Hey, Landon, welcome to the Ask Noah Show. Hey, no, how's it going? Hey, pretty good, man. Okay, so we, we have to have this discussion. So, so okay, so Landon is, is a good friend of mine. We've stay, stayed in contact for a long time, and, and Christmas, I think, is the per- – by, by the way, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you. Are you having a good holiday? Go i got to say this, long, long, time call, long time listener, first time caller. <laughs> All right. So uh, let's, let's get I the backstory. I have to say that, the cliché. Yeah, yeah, oh well, yeah, but it 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 uh, it means something because the the vast majority of people that support this program are doing it silently, and and they're no less appreciated than the people that call in. So I, I want to give the backstory here. So so Landon uh, uh, worked retail while he was going to college here in Grand Forks. He's going for uh, you were you're doing accounting when you were here, right, or finance? Finance the first time, yeah. So I'm going through his checkout lane, and uh, and I, and I, and I'm buying some stuff, and uh, I get to the checkout lane. And uh, and we we start talking. And I, was it the was it my shirt that you noticed, or the jacket, or something? You asked me. You said, "Oh, you know about computers, or something like that." You had your uh, AltaSpeed T-shirt polo on. Okay, so and it was the logo that thing guy. I know. I, I asked you a question, and the next thing I know, like a half hour had passed. Yeah. So we so and luckily so, no one else was in there that night, so I could talk. So, so we're sitting there, Lennon and I are talking. We get to know each other. He says, oh, he says, okay, I have these problems, this problem, that. So later that night, I, I was like, give me, here's my phone number. Give me a call when you get off work. So you get off work and I come over to your house. You're having this problem with your laptop and we took your laptop and we yep. wiped it. We wiped it clean and we put Fedora on it that night. So <laughs> you met this crazy That's guy. I've been using since then. I know, but you met this crazy guy at the store, and seven hours later, he erased your operating <laughs> system. You know, but uh, but no. So so, and and this is this is one of those things that it, Landon. I, I, if you listen to the program, that I'm sure you've heard me talk about this. But like, you know, there's 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 two kinds of people that you know that I work with. There's obviously the the people, the companies and stuff that we work with on a professional level. But you were just a, a random guy that needed some help, and so I just stopped over there to help. You know, you weren't a client, anything like that. But uh, so we installed Fedora on his system. And he'd never used Linux before. Never heard, had you even heard of Linux before? God no. So it's it's totally new to him. And that's all I've been I've been using it now for five six years, and I I only like using Windows at work because that's the only thing they'll allow. But I love right. Fedora. 
Yeah, so so we get we get Linux installed, and over the next I get because you were here for another two or three years, then you were gone for a year, and then you came back for a while. Uh, and throughout that time, I was gone for three years in Grand Forks. Yeah, then I came back for my accounting degree. Right, and so yeah. and so when when he was here, he would call me and, and say, you know, can we can we upgrade the Wi-Fi? Or can we do this? Or can we install this package? And I think at some point you were doing your CPA test, so we put VirtualBox and got a virtual instance of Windows Seven running on there, so you could run some accounting. Yeah, yeah so your test software, and then uh, and then when you moved, then we just started using Simple Help. And so when you run into a problem, yep. you'd say, hey, how, how do I do this or whatever? And, and so we'd go back and, and do that. And so then you and I were talking earlier today, and, I, and, and you were like, ah, I might, might have some free time to call into the show. And I'm like, man, the story of how we met, that's an, inter- <laughs> that's an interesting tale. <laughs> well, I'll admit, Prefest, like, I've always been fascinated how you do everything, because I guess working in the business world, it's more shifting towards I need to understand the IT side of stuff. Yes. Because with... Our software of IBM and Cisco, I'm more valuable to myself and to the company if I can understand at least a little bit of what's going on behind the scenes. So that's why any question I ask or have, I go to you first develop before IT department because kind of know how to make sense of what I'm trying to ask or what yeah. I'm doing. So that part I find pretty pretty helpful, and I thank you for that. Yeah, no worries, man. I I really appreciate you know our friendship and and you know we spend a lot of time just talking about random things in life and and this that and the other. But you know what's what's interesting? You talk about you know having your first foot forward uh, and having a step up on your competition with with uh, with technology. There are no stupid people that are doing their CPAs, right? Like there there are no dummies that are that are that are there. Nobody showing up just at the last day of class and, and drifting through that test. I mean, if you got somebody that's working in the finance place, they're going for their their masters in accounting or something. I mean, those are sharp. Co- there's all, those they're all sharp cookies to begin with. So anything you can do to kind of set yourself apart, and you've kind of done that. You've always kind of had a forward thinking guy. Like I remember when you came back from to Grand Forks, you were when you just came back to do your your accounting program, and we were having dinner, and you said. Um, what do you think the technology is going to be five years from now or six years from now? Because that's just kind of the way you think. You always, you're, you're always looking at where the, you know, to use a hockey analogy, where the puck's going to be, not where the puck is. Right. Well, I guess the really, I actually do have a question for you here. I guess just looking back the year, just here now looking forward, with the way technology is automating in, say, 10, even 20 years, what's going to make it to a person have to work in, North Dakota, because North agriculture, everything is going automation. Oil and gas is almost getting to that point. Like, what is there a push to even like further like help people learn how to code, just so then they do have a basic skill set when the new norm comes in twenty years? Yeah, I think so. I, I think. I mean, so do you get I think, where I'm trying to go with that question, or yeah, more or less. I I, I guess it's. It's a weird time to it's a weird time to have this discussion because so many things are cloudifying right now, right? So where you're going to work and how you're going to get work done and the things that you're able to get done on site versus remote are totally up in the air right now and those are shifting. So I would right. I mean with even within the next 2 years, 3 years, there's going to be large parts of entire businesses that are going to be centralized in some place in Atlanta or Florida or California or whatever there's a plethora of labor and warm weather and a bunch of people want to be and or maybe maybe it is North Dakota. Maybe all those maybe they open some base in North Dakota and that's where they 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 put all the people to do all the work and you're going to have large portions of businesses that are going to be centralized because all of it can be remote. And that wasn't the case. Right. You know, even five years, it's not even the case now, but it, it definitely will be the case in five years. If that Does that make sense? 
Right. But I guess I'm saying from the standpoint, your basic jobs you still have right now, the way technology is still creeping into every day's life, it's almost getting harder and harder that people don't want to admit that reality that their job will be obsolete in 10, 15 years. Oh, 100%. And that, 100%. Part, and that, and that part is extremely scary. You know, people are freaking out now about jobs and that are being lost to technology. What's going to happen when it's quantified even that much more? Landon, I went to McDonald's with my kids the other day, and uh, I walked in, and they have these big, they're like 32-inch tablets, basically. And uh, right. and you, you go in, and you order what you want, and you insert your card, and it, it runs the card, and it spits out a, a thing. You take the little number, and then your food spits out, and you take your food, and you, and you go eat. And there's no more anyone there taking your order. And when we, we actually, AltaSpeed Technologies got the contract with the, with a low, I think I can say their name. They, they probably won't mind free advertising. Uh, a local business called Sport Clips. Uh, they're nationwide, but yep. we have the franchise in North Dakota, in North Dakota, and we went and installed uh, these new kiosk systems. So when you go into Sport Clips now, you go put your phone number in at the little touchscreen kiosk, you sign in, and uh, it spits it. It lets you know like this is how long your wait is or whatever. And then when you're ready, they call you back. You go get your haircut and you go check yourself out. You swipe your card and do it all yourself. Uh, now in the Sport Clips case, they actually have somebody that is available to help you if you prefer to talk to somebody. It's just an option. You don't have to do the guided kiosk. In fact, there's a couple of stores we've worked at where they're like, we actually prefer to walk people through it just because. It's easier for them, easier for us. But the point is, like you said, that technology is there, and that's today. That's 2017. So imagine wh- where we're going to be five years from now uh, when all of this stuff be- – large portions of the entire economy are going to be automated. Large por- and, the, and the parts that aren't, again, they're going to condense condense down into one facility. There's no reason that you can't have – like at a drive through you can't have one facility that just takes the – the drive-up order for Burger King, McDonald's, Hardee's, Carl's Jr., whatever, all at one place, and just enters that into the computer, and thereby condensing the amount of jobs down, condensing the amount of labor down. So I, I, I really think technology is we're at an interesting precipice uh, where we're going to be. Right. My my thought process on that is I'd see again more advanced and cool, but at the same time, I'd see maybe the human element. People are like, okay, when's enough enough? Like. You don't put technology to the nth degree in this. Like, there is something to say about having interaction with the human being, though, too. Absolutely, and especially for customer think, service. Right. How many people do you know that? That's, that's the part that drives me crazy. Like when you hear retailers complaining, "Oh, people aren't coming to buy our stuff." Well, I hate to say it, but retailing isn't really a glamorous profession anymore. And right. When you treat your customers like who wants to come to you have your product, when I can just go on right. Amazon or online anywhere and just buy my stuff. Exactly. It, no, hundred percent. And 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 when you and so you start stepping through that and you say, okay, not only are the customer service representatives not particularly polite at Walmart or, or Walgreens or whatever, like I, I've legitimately gone into some of these big box stores and I'll ask, I'll say. Where are the the uh, where are the where are the peas? Where are the the where's the corn? Corn, and they'll say in the frozen food section. Well, I know that. I, I would you know walk me over there and show me like here's where we put this stuff. But they don't know that's part of the issue, right? And Amazon, I just take a picture of what I want and it shows up at my door two days later. And so yeah, you're absolutely right. right. I mean the the experience is 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 you know is is totally night and day. Uh, and so and, and the other thing is too is how many people have you ever met that like hitting a phone tree when they call their bank or they call whatever. No one in the world wants to hit a phone tree and dial through an automated system. Everyone wants to talk to a human being. Just have the human being pick up the phone and say, what's your last name? What's your social security number? Hi, Noah. How can I help you? I mean, that's, that's what we would all expect. We don't get that. 
Uh, and unfortunately, right. as you correctly pointed out, I think it's only going to get worse. Well, part of the problem, though, is people, some people just don't queue and they expect it just to be, I don't know, given to them. And it's, you, they want you to feel bad for them at the same time in life. It's your own decision you make and it's a result of it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Kind of one of those little flip books I remember as a kid. If you want this pass, go to page five. If you want this one, go to page ten. It just—it kind of reminds me of that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, well, it'll be—it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to watch. But I really thanks for thank you very much for calling in, Len. It was great to talk to you on Christmas. Merry Christmas! I, I figured once you made that post that you were doing the day, I'm like, well, no time like now to do that. So yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, we appreciate so, having you. Oh, I'm sorry. I hit the button too soon. I'm so sorry, Landon. Uh, but we appreciate having you as a listener. We definitely ha- appreciate you having you as a caller. Again, one 855 noaa 855-450-6624. The email live at com. Again, we're going to get back to Simon Quigley and the uh, Ubuntu article here, but I got a couple other people that are, are lining up to uh, to talk, so I'm going to I'm gonna take those calls first, then we'll get to uh, to Simon. Joel, you're on the Ask Noah show. Hey, welcome. How's it going, Noah? Hey, welcome back. You're starting to be a regular yeah. caller. I'm, I'm, st- you know, you're you're going up in my book. Well, um, I guess it's because it's um, currently like it's past like currently break right now, and currently trying to hang in there and all that. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, so, hey, are, so yeah, that's qu- right. You're a student. I forgot about that. Uh, yeah. Well, uh, how how are how do finals go? Uh, finals. I think I did okay, and um, I, I'm trying to trudge along and. Uh, uh, so so far so good. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's great. So, how can I help? So, uh, you said this was an AMA. So, um, I'm sort of want to get your tor- try, try to get into your head a little bit. Sure. Uh, who do you look toward in terms of your like philosophy, political, or anything like that with regards to shaping your opinions on? Technology and non-technological issues such as net neutrality, Edward Snowden, other stuff like that. Sure, I I, I don't know if there's any one human being that I I look to and say that person perfectly represents all of my beliefs. I uh, I have a weird I have a weird uh, twist in my politics. So I, I most of you guys know I tend to I tend to lean pretty far right uh, on the political spectrum, but my guiding principle is very simple. It's the whole live and let live thing, right? I don't, I, I don't believe that I have any right to, to tell you what to do with your life, and I don't believe that you have any right to tell me what to do with my life. And the only time we should set a, a definitive boundary in the sand is where you think that your freedom starts to infringe on my freedom to do something and, and, or vice versa. Um, so if you said, well, I think I have the freedom to come and uh, to cut your hand off. Well, that would I, I don't think that would be a, a th- that that's where your freedom ends and my, you know, because our freedom start to collide. So that's where I think we need to stop and, and put some line, lines in the sand. I, I also I always try to advocate to keep the regulating body as small as possible because and it's very simple. I'm just I advocate for the maximum absence of coercion. I just prefer to let rational thinking adults think for themselves and make their own decisions. So if I take that logic and apply it to something like net neutrality, the question becomes, do I think that the federal government, do I think that the world would be a better place 
if the federal government steps in and crafts legislation around net neutrality, or do I think that the world would be a better place if we let rational, self-thinking adults figure it out for themselves and deal with it at a local level, at a state level, at a city level, whatever the smallest level that we can get away with and still achieve, achieve the objective? Then the answer would be yes. You know, and, and I've gotten asked this question. They've said, well, don't you think that net neutrality is a bit of an exception to – uh, all other forms of uh, all other issues because it's so necessary as a part of life. And yes, I do. I do. I agree that that when it comes to the Internet, we have gotten to a point where I think the Internet is just as valuable as hot water. And I think the Internet is definitely more valuable than telephones. And so by that logic, then should not we should we not classify the Internet as some sort of utility and have the federal government uh, regulate it and stuff like that? If somebody proposed a constitutional amendment in, in the U.S. and said, I propose that we now add to the 18 enumerated powers, make them the 19 enumerated powers, and it's part of the federal government's job to bury fiber and get fiber to all 50 states and regulate a free and open open internet. If the if the government wanted to put government fiber in, I'm okay with that. I, I you know I, it's something I definitely it's a discussion I'm willing to have at the very least. What I'm not okay with is private businesses saving up and investing hundred, you know billions or hundreds of billions of dollars into their own infrastructure and then being told well you can't do this that that's where i start to that's where i start to get a little hazy and and it's it's weird and i have had this discussion with numerous people we've gone back and forth you know chris myself you know in particular neither one of us like the idea of the comcasts of the world deciding what the future of the internet is but neither one of us really liked the idea of the FCC having this broad stroke to just decide what can be passed on the Internet and what can't be passed. So it doesn't seem like there are a lot of good options right now. Does that answer your question at all? Yeah. I'm kind of rambling. <laughs> yeah, well, also there's also the concern that the FTC doesn't have enough power in terms of uh, antitrust capability and all that. And that sort of spurns on this sort of concern toward net neutrality. But again, the free market doing the best to, in, in its power to try to – make stuff better for the consumer in the long term it's 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 sort of a taken turn i'm me personally i sort of lean i call myself a spiky elephant in terms of like mixing libertarian with conservative stuff so uh, i sort of struggle with sort of technological issues with regards to um, my um beliefs sure sure uh no i hear that perfectly i i think that um yeah, I hear that perfectly. So, but anyway, I, you know, it's it, it it. We'll just we'll wait and see what happens. And if the if if we get halfway down twenty eighteen, and uh, my internet turns down to fifty six k, then I'm I'm not opposed to. I think the I think the measure of intelligent human being is when you can look back and say I was wrong about that. I made a mistake. And so if I if we get halfway down twenty eighteen, and uh, and there's a, and it turns out that the internet is running at fifty six k, I'll I'll come right on the air and say I was wrong. Frank is calling from Connecticut. Hey, Frank, welcome to the Ask Noah Show. Hey, Noah. Um, if you remember, we sort of tweeted a week or two ago. Um, I'd taken some photos with an Olympus camera, um, which put out RAWs, which I don't want to, you know, pay for Adobe and rather not steal anything. So let's hope yes, to find yes, a... Yes, 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 yes. Yes, I do remember. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, try to find an open source or, you know, alternative... Um, I did try Darktable, but it was the Windows 4 just because I was sitting at work, and yep. it did not look like it supported um, the uh, Olympus's uh, raw file format. So, um, here I am. <laughs> yeah, no worries. Okay, so let's let's back up. Let's, just for anyone that's listening that doesn't understand uh, your question, 
when you take a picture on a on a professional grade digital camera on a really good digital camera there is the raw sensor data where it takes the the actual image that that it captures and it stores it now how it interprets that data is done in software right so for example a, a, a really go-to uh, example is white balance. White balance is not done on the image sensor. The image does not the, – the color that you're taking of a white wall doesn't change uh, based on when you take the picture. It's the color that it is given the lighting situation that it is. So it's in software that we tell the picture, this is the sensor data and here's how you process white and this is what true white is. So adjust all of the other colors based on the fact that this is true white. So what – what happens is on a normal camera, if you take a picture on your phone uh, and it, it saves it as a JPEG or even a TIFF, even if it's uncompressed, that image has already been processed. That image has already been taken and said, okay, this is what true white is and this is what everything else is, and then it spits out an image. And you can't ever go back and change that. You can, you can tweak it a little bit, but you're not truly modifying the image data. You're just essentially recoloring the photo, so to speak. The advantage of the RAW format, which Nikon, Canon, Olympus, Sony, you name it, the, the advantage of the RAW format is it gives you that RAW sensor data. And so you can then bring it into a software like Darktable, and in post, with zero degradation to the photo, correct white balance, you can adjust brightness to a certain degree, you can, you can do a lot of these things. And so it's very, very important. If you're a photographer, you, don't, you, never, you never accept anything less than RAW. Uh, and if you're in... The marketing, we were talking about marketing earlier. If you're in the marketing campaign, usually the photographer will supply you with the raw photos so that you can uh, use them for various things. Anyway, so the, so what, what, what Frank's problem is, he bought an Olympus. I'm assuming it's a DSLR? Yeah, it's uh, their uh, – because they're all micro, thir- micro four-thirds. Oh, um, nice. It's their, it's, uh, so it's their entry level. Uh, their EM – uh, 10 Mark II, so it uh, does both JPEG and RAW. Um, little background, I you know was going on a, on a company trip uh, early this year, actually right before I went to Dayton, Ohio for Hamvention. Someone stole my camera, and I'm like, oh crap, need a camera going on, you know, going to Australia. Um, so ended up with the Olympus, very happy with it, and I'm like, hmm, kind of want to process these now and get these out of the camera. <laughs> right? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I, I, I here's here's what I'll tell you: two different things. They're going to sound conflicting. Uh, I have never had an issue with uh, a RAW file not opening up in Darktable. However, I've also never owned an Olympus camera, so that might be why. Would there be any possibility that you would send me one of your RAW files? I have an entire set of uh, files to send to you. Just tell me where to do it. Cool. Uh, you can do it. A, the, the easiest thing, if you just email them to live at com. I happen to have that open. Uh, and what I'll do, uh, what I'll do, Frank, is I will... Uh, Get this pull back up. Okay. What I will do, Frank, is I will I'll download those files and I will send them off to a couple of my contacts that work in in this industry because I, I don't. I play around in it a little bit, but I got people that eat, live, and breathe still photography, and they know everything there is to know about Darktable. They know more about Darktable and raw images than the people at Canon and Nikon who make them. So, and I I will forward those images to them and say, how do we get these things to open in Darktable? And they might say, I know with Canon, for example, or no, I think it was Nikon. Nikon has this ability to do live, I don't know, I don't remember what they call it. I think it's live photography. But basically, you set the camera up and you can actually actuate the shutter from 
software control. So the advantage of that is you can have one guy that's that's framing the shots and one guy that's sitting and staring at the uh, the computer and actually choosing when to actually take the shots. Uh, and you know he's not moving around, so he you know he's got a much better idea of when things are in focus and stuff like that. And I know for that particular function to work, we had to install some sort of add-on or something like that. And if I, memory serves correctly, and I could be wrong about this, but I feel like we had to do the same thing when the D5 came out on, with Nikon. So I will, that, that's what I can do for you. I can get those over to the people that can help, and then hopefully we'll have an answer for you in the next week or so. All right. Uh, what's the address again? Live at AskNoahShow.com. All right. Cool. I will do that now. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. And have a Merry Christmas. We appreciate you calling. Okay, phone lines, 855-450-NOAH, 855-450-6624, or live at AskNoahShow.com. I'm going to go to Simon Quigley. He's joining us from Wisconsin on Christmas, setting aside time on his Christmas. Uh, it's not really Christmas Eve. It's the eve of Christmas, I guess, uh, to talk about this important bug that is bricking, uh, essentially, Lenovo and, um, was it Acer computers, if you install the latest version of 1710. So welcome to the program, Simon. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, a, a little bit of background for folks. You actually do some of our call screening sometimes, so so people may have talked to you on the phone. Yep. Cool. So, give me the uh, give me the background. So, w- what is your take on this? I guess my question is, what do you think? Do you think this is Lenovo's fault, or do you think this is Canonical's fault, or maybe a bit of both? So. Um I think, you know, to go into, you, you sort of did a good explanation of what the bug actually was. Um, you know, that it's, it's a problem when you install Ubuntu 17.10 that it will, you know, mess with the BIOS. And I, I've seen different issues from different people. The, but the most common issue I've seen is um, the people where they cannot write to the BIOS. In some cases, it completely breaks the computer. Um, and, and, you know, as a matter of, of faults, I think it's... Um, from from what I remember from looking into this, um, it was it's a common um, BIOS like a like a flash chip that ships on these motherboards that has an implementation error of some sort, um, where the the Linux kernel driver, you know, I'm I'm sort of I'm sort of iffy on my explanation here because the 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 specifics of which haven't been worked out yet. You said that it was the Intel SPI driver in the um, in the Linux kernel. And in the meantime, ever since this bug was discovered, um, they have disabled that driver in Ubuntu 17.10, and they have released it as an update. Um, but they're still working out the specifics to see what exactly the problem is and to see if they can release a fix. So I have theories on what it is, and I've, I've seen them, them talk about it. But really, um, I think in the next week or two, maybe even more, maybe less, um, we'll, we'll get a solid explanation about that. But, you know, mainly I think it's, I think it's the, the, the fault of um, several several entities, I think, in this case, because this problem did ship with Ubuntu 17.10, and these laptops aren't, they haven't been released since 17.10 was released, so this bug was spotted, what is it, two months now after the fact? Um, so it's, I think it's part, partly an error of the, the flavor maintainers and the and Canonical as a whole that, that, that we didn't spot this. And then on the side of Lenovo and their um, and the implementation of that flash chip, sure they ship with these devices with the Windows installed by default. But honestly, it's it's you know this improper implementation. If it's um, vulnerable, if it's I see vulnerable, you know, lack of a better word there. 
but if it's vulnerable to this type of um, to this this type of problem, I mean, this they should have done. I don't know if they should have done better QA or if they should have, you know, looked at the implementation more carefully. So, you know, to a certain degree, is it not? I mean, I hate, I hate I, this. Feels like a cop out, but to a certain degree, when you have a manufacturer, a hardware manufacturer that isn't directly working with the software manufacturer, I mean. Isn't that the whole point? Mm-hmm. I'm not, I mean, I, again, I, I realize how much of a cop-out this sounds. I have a hard time even saying it, but I, I just the question that comes to mind is, is that not kind of the point of the non-LTS to, f- to figure out the in-between bugs, even if they are huge and catastrophic? Because there's a, how, is, how is Canonical supposed to know yeah. that Lenovo screwed up the implementation of this thing? How are they supposed to know that unless they put the software out? Thank God they didn't do it with an LTS. Right. Exactly. And either way, it's um, I think they're now working with you know, this is unofficial, but I think they're now working with some of the Nova engineers, the engineers to see what the problem is on this. But, you know, honestly, the the only way they can find bugs a lot of the time is by testing these sort of things. And I think it was a community contributor that did actually find this bug. In fact, just looking at the bug report now on Launchpad, it, it, it wasn't a canonical employee that, that submitted this bug report. It was someone from the community who who finally discovered something going on. And it's, it's a point that I really want to emphasize that um, even though we... You, like if you have a spare machine, sometimes um, even though even though these issues do happen, um, it's better to discover them sooner rather than later. If you know what I mean, it's it's it would be it would have been great if we would have discovered this before the release actually happened, and it would have been you know it's as simple as releasing a fix. Maybe if, if it was close enough to the release, stopping the release from happening until that's happened. But now it's two months after the release, we pulled it from the CD image servers. And now we have to get a fix, you know, after the fact. So like, I think the point that I really want to take, I really want people to take away from this is if you, if you're wondering what to do with that spare computer that you have, you know, help us test this sort of thing. Just, just put Linux on there, put Ubuntu, put Ubuntu on it or whatever beta, like if it's a beta release, just help with, you know, it's, it's, we like testing from a flavor point of view. We like testing from, from community who actually will install this on their systems. So that's my major point that I want people to take away from this. Yeah, I, th- I think that makes perfect sense, and I think that's great advice. Um, the the obvious problem, right, because both you and I are going to are going to catch some, some slack for, for, you know, me for saying, uh, you know, that's the point of the non-LTS, and you're probably going to get some slack for, for saying, just put it on a spare machine, because there's the obvious, the obvious thing is going to be, well, one, most people don't have enough money to have a spare $1,600, you know, ultrabook laying around. And even if they did, right. even if it was a spare machine, nobody's going to be happy about that machine getting bricked. So it's not like this. I'm not, Simon nor I are saying this is an acceptable thing. I just question, you know, <clears throat> given the, the nature of how this software comes into existence, what would you have done differently? Somebody give me a better idea. So, like, so, yeah. It- yeah. Sorry, go ahead. No, I just, I just, I, I'm, I'm just, I'm asking. Is there a better idea? If somebody's out, if somebody's out there that's like, well, here's how you could do that differently. I mean, short of Lenovo coming forward and saying we're going to start working with Canonical, I, there, I just don't mm-hmm. see a better idea. That's just what you get. Other than just testing to make sure these things don't happen. Otherwise, yeah, I'm, I guess I'm just a little bit misunderstanding your question here. 
Well, okay. So take take like, take, take take what you just said, right? Like the, the testing to make sure these things don't happen. Mm-hmm. That's not feasible. I mean, you can't have Canonical yeah. buy every make and model computer that exists. I mean, that's not possible. So, I mean, right. to, to certain. I mean, I, I like I said, it sounds like a cop out, but the truth is, like, do we not just have to accept that we're going to have some of these problems, and that's just that that's that's the these are the kind of problems you're going to get on a non LTS. Sometimes, unfortunately, I think that's the case. You know, yeah. At yeah. Least, like like you said before, at least this was this was a non LTS, and at least it wasn't an LTS release, or where right. everybody's putting their production hardware on. I mean, some people are, some people probably did upgrade their production systems to this, and were yeah, I did, you know, they were unpleasantly surprised. Um, surprised, yeah. And, you know, especially with especially with all, with all the hype um, around Ubuntu seventeen ten and the GNOME. Um, the, the, the main Ubuntu having the, uh, like a new GNOME refresh and everything like it, all that, I think this was one of the releases where people would have upgraded to 1710. So I guess even when it's an exciting release like this, there sometimes there are drawbacks to upgrading. Yeah, I guess that's, I guess that's what mm-hmm. it boils down to. I guess that's what it boils down to. It just, it just, it feels, it feels so difficult to say. Like, I mean, I, I, I guess here's the other side of that, though, Simon. So, so take a look at this. So, like, yeah. there's going to be a lot of people out there that are going to be like, "Well, I, man, you want to talk about bad marketing for an operating system? Going on the air and saying that, well, breaking your BIOS on a seventeen hundred dollar computer that's just, that's just par for the course if you're using Ubuntu. That doesn't sound real great. But here, here's the other side of that, though, right? Microsoft just a couple of weeks ago had that blue screen issue where it would get into the blue screen of death and it would just continually it would just cycle through and you couldn't get out of it. And then like a week after that or two weeks after that, Apple had the thing where you could just t- sign it as root if you just hit enter a couple of times. You type root as the username and just put enter enough times. Hi Sierra. You put root as the username and you press enter like three or four times and it just logs you right into the computer. So it's not and I mean right. and again, this is probably the, the a bad this is probably a bad situation to grandstand on because i mean none of those cause you know potentially irreversible hardware repairs but what i'm saying mm-hmm. my point is that all those operating systems have catastrophic failures which is which problem you want to solve and this is you know this is one of the unless i'm wrong i don't remember anything ever being quite this severe we had one issue a couple of years ago back with the samsung's they had a samsung ultrabook that I think it would break it if you tried to to boot Linux on, um, and 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 but but other than that, I mean, for the most part, I, I don't I don't think this is a routine problem that we run into. And here's here's a third point too: if you bought a computer that was designed to run Linux from a company like System seventy six, from a company like Dell, you're not going to have these issues. Or if you do what I do, buy the exactly. same computer. Buy the same computer that the companies like Red Hat buys. Red Hat buys a bunch of X1s, T420s, T430s. Uh, I, I buy the same similar models to what they have, and I don't have these problems. So, I mean, there are ways to sidestep that if you're worried about it. I just, it would be nice to live in a world where, like, Linux would run on every computer known to man. I just, I, I, again, I just don't see how that's possible, or uh, how it's possible to know for sure. Right. I mean, with, with some of these devices, you don't, you don't know if they're going to have some unknown quirks. Um, you know, things like, like, like you said, I don't think there's anything as severe as this, at least that I can remember. I've been, I'm a fairly new community member within Ubuntu within the past, I think I started contributing two and a half years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so I haven't been around for that long, but as far as I can remember, this is the most severe thing that I've seen since, since I was in the community. Sure. Well, we really appreciate so, you coming on. We yeah, we really appreciate you coming on the phone uh, on the program to talk about it. And uh, if people want to follow you or or uh, or keep track of what you're doing and the contributions that they're making, where would they go? 
I'm, I think Twitter's, I think Twitter's the best. Um, Twitter.com slash T-Simon Q2, um, T-S-I-M-O-N-Q2. Um, otherwise, yeah, I'm on the usual platforms. You're an IRC. You're in the uh, Ask Noah Telegram group, telegram.asknoahshow.com. Yep. You're in all those places. I can find you there. Yeah, I mean, so, and yeah, again, thank you very much. Hey, here's the thing. I'm going I'm to take him off the air so he can't argue with me on this. Uh, he may say he's only been contributing for two years, but the, here's the thing. That guy contributes more in a day than most people do in like a year of time. I mean, he's crazy involved. In, in, fact, in fact, so funny story. I invited him on the show. And as I did that, somebody else in the Telegram group, group goes, man, that guy is everywhere. Like every chat, every Linux chat, every community known to man, Simon Quigley's there. I mean, the, the, the guy is just, he's an amazing contribution. We're very fortunate to have him here on the team at, at the Ask Noah show and, and to provide us with some commentary and his insight because it's, uh, like, he, like I said, he may have only been officially involved contributing code for the last two years, but he's heavily, heavily involved. Again, phone lines 855-450-NOAH. That's 855-450-6624. The email live at asknoahshow.com. Bitcoin is $14,090 and Litecoin is at $273.67. Now, here's what's interesting about the cryptocurrency in the last week. Litecoin tanked a little bit. Now, for those of us that have been in the cryptocurrency world for years, this is nothing. This is just a daily swing. In fact, that's not even really a daily swing. That's actually less than a daily swing. It's just not a big deal. Nope, we don't care. It drops a hundred bucks. It raises a hundred bucks. It drops two hundred bucks. Raises two hundred bucks. Nobody cares. I think it. I think the low point for Litecoin uh, recently was one hundred ninety dollars. And uh, I was talking to a good friend of mine, and uh, he lost a bunch of money. He put some money in Litecoin, and then it, it tanked, and then he lost his money. Um, now, of course, you don't lose your money if you don't actually cash out, right? Because it 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 would have, and it did recover. Um, but the, my, the the reason I bring this up is just. To quickly point out again that these wild swings in cryptocurrency, to me, is pretty good evidence that it should not be an investment. You do not take out a mortgage on your house. I saw an article of somebody borrowing money on their house, on their home, to invest in cryptocurrency. Are you nuts? Don't do that. Don't do that. You're going to lose your home. So don't do crazy stuff. If you want to get involved in the cryptocurrency, you should do it. It's really fun. I like cryptocurrency. Don't borrow on your house. Don't be crazy. Uh, so uh, anyway, <clears throat> that's really all I have to say about cryptocurrency. So I have a really cool thing that I've been playing with. And I, I debated if I was going to share this on the air or not. Um, because it's not scandalous, I guess. It just, it, it just, I don't know. It just feels like it's something that could potentially get me a lot of hate. But I'm going to do it anyway. Uh, so many of you are familiar with various file sharing tools, Right. Uh, and today, torrents and Usenet are very popular, very prolific. A lot of people are using them. But way back in the day, uh, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, we used to use something called LimeWire and Morpheus. This is kind of after the Napster days, but before the really kind of before the days of torrents and stuff like that. And uh, the nice thing about LimeWire was it was just an application that you ran, and you typed in the name of the thing that you wanted – and it would go out and find the thing that you wanted, and then you could just click on it, and then it would download that thing. And the software would keep track of the various sources that house that particular file. So you could download music, you could download videos, you could download software, uh, anything you want. And yes, before anyone asks, it was used, I mean, it had a huge following among people that wanted to download illegal content. If you didn't pay for the music, it's stealing the song. And uh, that's wrong, and you shouldn't do it. 
and people did it anyway, and people are still doing it. Now, these days, re- the reality is that it's actually easier and cheaper just to go on Am- – well, maybe not cheaper, but it's easier just to go on Amazon and download an MP3 for you know buck forty nine or whatever. But I came across a piece of software that is the evolution of LimeWire, and it is called FrostWire. Now, FrostWire is an open-source, peer-to-peer file-sharing program. And what FrostWire allows you to do is, again, just like in the LimeWire days, you could just type in the name of the software program or song or video or whatever it is that you want. And what FrostWire does is it will go out and look at torrents. It goes out and looks at YouTube. It goes out and looks at its own little database thing of other FrostWire users. And then it... uh manages all of that stuff and downloads it just like LimeWire used to do. Runs on Linux, runs really great on Linux, and uh, I've been using it all week. I've been doing a lot of YouTube stuff. So a lot of you know that I use YouTube DL to download uh, all of my content that I play it locally. Well, the nice thing about FrostWire is I can paste the name of a YouTube video into FrostWire, and I can go download that, and it acts as a, a, a graphical interface download manager. I can specify where it downloads to all that good stuff. So I, I think it's I think it's a really cool piece of software. I think people should check it out. I think if uh, if you're one of those people that gets really upset over anything that could potentially be used for something illegal, then you should probably stay away from FrostWire because it. I mean that's I think that's that's a large following of it. But I think it's a really cool piece of software, and I think that cohesive software like that is undervalued. Like I'll give you another example. So it does torrents, right? So I can go and look at the set, the let's say I wanted to download seventeen ten. Right now, the you can't download off of that of, off of Canonical site, but there are torrent links to go download the seventeen ten ISO. So let's say you wanted to do some testing, or let's say you wanted to play with it, or let's say your system just wasn't affected, and so you don't care, and you just need to reinstall your OS, but maybe you didn't keep the ISO because you expected it to be available. We could go on FrostWire, and you can type it in, and it will download it at a ridiculous speed because it's using torrent, so it's maximizing your download connection maximizing the upload connections uh, to other places. JJ4884 asks, is it safer to download torrents on Linux? Yes, it is. because Not because Linux is immune to viruses, not because Linux is immune to malware. The reality is that, and Matt Hartley said it best, and I've stolen it, I'm kind of, you know, but anything that can execute code is vulnerable to attack. And Linux can most definitely execute code. But here's the difference. Nobody not nobody, very, very few people are writing malicious code for Linux. The vast majority of malicious code is being written for Windows. And the people that are done writing malicious code for Windows and are trying to move on to something else are writing it for Mac. Nobody's writing malicious code for Linux. Again, not nobody, very few people. And then on top of that, you have things that, they, that the people that would like to write malicious code for Linux have to overcome. You have to overcome things like SE Linux. You have to overcome things like privilege escalation. So, you know... Uh, it's it's not something we really worry about on Linux, and so yeah, I would say that your cha- if you wanted to if if you just looked at it statistically speaking, are you more or less likely to wind up with some sort of malicious software that can actually damage your computer on Linux or on Windows? I would say yeah, absolutely, you're more likely to wind up with that on Linux, on Windows, on Linux. It's going to be a little bit safer, uh, and I haven't used it for anything, you know. Uh, nefarious. I've just been downloading, like I said, YouTube videos. But I like that it has the YouTube database, or it can tie into the YouTube ba- database and do all of that and then manage all of the downloads. I think that's really cool. Hey guys, we're doing our distro elimination challenge. If you haven't heard of this, it's slash elimination. We asked you which two distros would you use on the desktop? The two choices were S- S- Solid X and 
G-U-I-X-S-D. I don't know how to pronounce it. 68% of you said Solid X, and only 30% of you voted for G-U-I-X-S-D. A uh, total of 50 votes. So Solid X wins that round of the Distro Elimination Challenge. This week we have up Void Linux and Peppermint OS. Void Linux, you can learn more at voidlinux.eu. Void is a general-purpose operating system based on the monolithic Linux kernel. Each package system allows you to quickly install, update, and remove software. Software is provided in binary packages and can be built from source with the help of XBPS source package collections. The competitor is Peppermint OS, peppermintos.com. Say hello to the next iteration of our lightweight, stable, and super-fast operating system. Peppermint 8 is built on a long-term support LTS code base, so as well as being customizable to your heart's content, it will be good to go for quite some time. Peppermint 8 is built on the Ubuntu 16.04 code base. You can vote for one of those two distros after this episode is published at asknoashow.com slash elimination. As a reminder, we are going to go through all of the desktop picks that you or the desktop operating systems that you have submitted until we come to a clear winner for the desktop operating system. We're going to get a clear winner for the server operating system and a clear winner for the utility distro. And uh, once we have all of those, we're going to publish all the results and why people voted for the various distros and what their reasoning was onto a big database. And that will be a living database. We will continually update it or make it into some sort of a wiki so anyone can edit it and upload it. And the advantage to doing that is that when newcomers come and sit down and say, what Linux OS do I want to start with? We can point them to a page and go, here's what most people wind up on, but here's why other people chose these choices, and you can choose for yourself. AskNoah.com slash elimination. Our live time is moving, guys. We are going to be This is the last week we're going to be doing a show on Mondays. Next week, starting next week, January the 2nd, our live time will shift to Tuesdays at 6 p.m. Central. So same time, just 24 hours later. Why is this, you ask? Because we are teaming up with our friends at the Linux Unplugged program. They're going to be taking the community hour before us and doing a two-hour show where you can participate live in a community lug. And after that, we're going to pick up right after them. We're going to we're going to have the stream set up in such a way that it will no longer have to refresh your player or anything like that. It's just going to be one sweet, smooth transition from one Linux program to the next. And you guys can hang around, and we'll take all of your questions if you have them coming on in the next hour. Now, I don't know if it's going to work out or not. I'm going to try. It's kind of hard to get people to do a lot of invasive work this time of the year. But if I can get them to do it, I'm going to try to get our mumble room set up so that mumble is tied into the Ask Noah show, at least for next week. So that as we go into from the Linux Unplugged program to the Ask Noah show, if you guys want to participate in the Ask Noah show, then you can ask your questions right on mumble with the computer without having to worry about calls and stuff like that. As a reminder, if you do want to call into the program and you don't live in the U.S., right now the best option is Skype. You can sign up for a free Skype account and you can call toll-free and we have a toll-free number, one eight five five four five zero noaa That's one eight five five four five zero six six two four. Of course, you can always email the show live at asknoahshow.com. Huge thanks to everyone that uh, participated in the elimination challenge and is voting and continues to vote. And I really appreciate all of you that took the time out of your day to call in for this Christmas uh, episode. I know that all of you have family that you're celebrating with and other things you could be doing. So yeah, from the bottom of my heart, thank you so much for taking the time to be here with us and join us during our lifetime. Thank you to anyone who is listening during our lifetime. And of course, a huge thank you to the Asno Telegram group that constantly supports the show. 
you can join telegram.asknoahshow.com, become a part of the program, become a part of the discussion all week long, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. That brings us to the end of this week's episode. Huge thanks to Sarah, our call screener, Rakai, our video editor, and Ben, our producer. We'll hand you off to Crosspoint. Coming up next on Logos Radio, KEQQ 88.3, OPFM, Grand Forks. <laughs>